Welcome to The Sidebar, a podcast production of Charleston School of Law. I'm your host, John Struble. In our opening trailer, I disclose that I am not an attorney. I have never practiced law, but all my guests have. In fact, the legal professionals you will hear today and on future shows are passionate practitioners and educators of law. They love their work. I am sure you're now curious, how did that guy with no legal education, no deep knowledge base of legal work, get tapped to host a legal podcast? Great question. I'm a longtime media and marketing professional. My greatest strength, I believe, is my curiosity. I will ask a lot of questions. Some may sound elementary, that's intentional. I'm listening and learning a new discipline. We will learn together, which leads us to our first guest. Ben Pogue is a 2009 alumnus of Charleston School of Law. Today, he is a practicing attorney and serves as an adjunct professor at the school. Welcome to the sidebar, Ben. John, it's uh, great to be here, and I appreciate your background. When I was first uh, getting into law, my previous career was as a uh, television reporter and broadcast meteorologist, and so my experience before law school was uh, sort of just like yours, uh, you know, really just being inquisitive about it and really having uh, not a whole lot of uh, experience with it. But, um, you know, I find that that's really helpful. Uh, one of the things that you bring to the table is the ability to uh, see some of the blind spots and some of the assumptions that lawyers make that, you know, regular folks don't, that we, that regular folks lay people need guidance through. So I appreciate your perspective, John. Mm, thanks so much. Uh, there is a public perception about the legal profession that's a, a oftentimes created by culture in the media, some are myths, some are very misleading. Uh, what was your definition of an attorney when you first pursued the vocation coming out of a media background and how you define that work today? It's kind of a two-part question, kind of before and after. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, when I don't have any other relatives who are attorneys, I'm the first attorney in my family. Um, you know, we really didn't need an attorney too much growing up. Uh, you know, it just wasn't, there weren't many people who I knew who were attorneys, who were friends of my folks or anything like that. And uh, even as I became an adult and was on my own, you know, I just didn't know too many people. Then through the news business, the people who I interacted with uh, who were attorneys, um, you know, I just... I didn't have much experience besides whether or not they were involved in a news story. So if there was a high profile criminal matter, uh, yeah, then I would see them. I, we would talk to guests on set. Uh, actually, a good friend of mine, Richard Rissick, uh, was a guest of ours on set. And my wife was a news anchor, appeared with him many times. And, you know, we were sort of just asking questions about uh, and really presenting a challenge to our guests, the, the lawyers who are our guests and saying, okay, break all this down for us. Give us a soundbite that perfectly explains this. 
uh, and maybe if you're on set, maybe give us five or 10 minutes, and, which is now from my current perspective, hysterical, because, <laughs> you know, anytime you look at any issue when you're a lawyer, one of the things that Charleston School of Law really trains you to do is to look inside and outside and through every single interwoven fabric of an issue and really break it down from so many angles. So it seems impossible now. Uh, to, you know, look at any kind of uh, news issue that comes on up and say, oh, yeah, I can perfectly capture that in an eight second bite. <laughs> you know, it's just it's just utterly impossible. And when I've been uh, interviewed by uh, the news media from time to time, you know, I always sort of preface it by saying, look, these are really complicated issues and, and they demand quite a bit of discussion. So I guess, John, my perspective now is as a practicing attorney um, to really give my clients and, and folks who aren't my clients, um, you know, who still come to me for legal advice. I, I do a lot of uh, work in the community, community advocacy and community mediation, bringing folks together. Um, so to try and explain to them that there are many, many issues uh, when you're talking to somebody who's not your client and you're an attorney, uh, you're not giving them advice. You can't give them legal advice, but you can show them that, look, there are so many issues that are present here and there are many different ways to look at a problem. Um, and I find my role in a lot of what I do is mediation, um, usually uh, civil litigation, mediation. When there's a lawsuit that's about to go to trial, people come to me, whether it's a construction case, personal injury case, medical malpractice, mm -hmm. uh, mechanically, you name it. Um, it's bringing people together. You're still doing the same thing as a mediator. You're dissecting an issue and oftentimes talking to the lay people who are the clients and helping them become aware that there's so much more to this, namely, a lot of times, a different perspective than their own. So uh, one of the things that I, I got from my uh, law school experience was having you know, really great mentors and professor, professors there. The whole idea that there is another perspective oh. on whatever issue you're involved with, and it's a valid perspective a lot of the time. So it really uh, it's better solved in so many cases with cooperation, collaboration. So as an attorney now, it's it's not so much the soundbite that I'm that I was after when I was a reporter, uh, but instead it's the you know prompting people to understand that a much deeper dive is really a necessity for them getting some resolution uh, to the issue and and being all you know anybody who's involved with it able to move forward. Yeah. So as you mentioned, you worked in the media early in your career, but what inspired you to make that leap from the teleprompter to the courtroom, you know, to go from, yeah. the, from the media to the legal field? You had mentioned there was a man who came on set that you were kind of, you know, inquisitive about him and his work. Was it him or was it something deeper that led you to make that transition? Well, there were a few things. I mean, um, so one of my mentors, uh, Richard Rissick, a really good guy, does uh, passionate work and, and works in the community as well. Uh, still a, a great mentor of mine. And it was meeting him, uh, meeting folks. I went through my own divorce. So my attorney uh, through my divorce was a phenomenal guy who still does incredible mediation work. Yeah. 
uh, as a federal law attorney, Sean Kiefer. Um, he was a mentor of mine. So you meet these folks. When my, my previous career and my experience was either nothing or, you know, interview and get a soundbite from somebody here or there about some pressing you know, legal issue that has blown up into a media issue. But instead, these individuals who I became friends with, uh, it was much more uh, personal. It was much more uh, the role that they had as counselor, as uh, some sort of guide uh, to bring people to a better resolution. And at that time, uh, more than anything, in my job in media was uh, really doing the weather as a meteorologist for the most part, as I sort of uh, graduated from reporter to meteorologist. Um, and so my last job as a meteorologist uh, brought me out of Charleston and to Charlotte, North Carolina hmm. uh, for News 14 Carolina, weather on the ones. Uh, <laughs> and there were, you know, so every 10 minutes I was doing the weather. And there were a couple of events there. First was a, uh, a major tornado outbreak in the Charlotte-Mecklenburg area. We had an F3 tornado, which is a really large tornado for the southeast, uh, go right through Charlotte. Hmm. Um, great experience, but uh, I, w- I got a little bit of, uh, you know, bad taste in my mouth after uh, you know, a lot of folks in the newsroom were really supportive, um, but folks maybe in management, I, I felt, was were more concerned about the ratings for that particular event. Mm. And then on the heels of that, it's interesting that the 16th anniversary just occurred. We just had Hurricane Ida uh, strike yep. Louisiana, uh, but it was Hurricane Katrina back in 2005. Yeah. And I, having done so much work in the community to raise the awareness and help people understand how to be prepared, working with local and state emergency preparedness officials, uh, and then going to Charlotte. And while I was still getting uh, into the community there, seeing Hurricane Katrina happen and understanding, knowing some of those meteorologists down in New Orleans, um, and understanding that they there should have been more that was done, mm. uh, I felt called to go down there uh, and work with the Red Cross. Uh, I had some connections and had done Red Cross training up here. And I went to my news director and I said, I, I, I believe I really need to go down there and help. Mm-hmm. You know, they need people to help. I'm trained to do this. Um, I could go lend ahead. And they, and they sort of said, well, you know, we're not going to give you a leave of absence and we're not going to give you a camera. So um, you don't have too many options. And I said, fantastic. That sounds great. I resigned. Uh, I'm going to help. I mean, that's that's what I got to do. So, you, you know, you do what you're called to do. And my incredible wife uh, was extremely supportive. So I went down there. And, John, for the time I was down there, I, I was only down there three days before suddenly I was running a shelter. I, I got down there a month after uh, Hurricane Katrina had hit. Um, two guys who I met with the Red Cross, uh, we all started doing whatever we could Um you know, even outside the scope of our jobs in the Red Cross to help where we could. And we ran into some folks running a, a Red Cross shelter there in a town called Lufkin, Texas. Mm. We walked in. Uh, the folks from the Red Cross who were running the shelter saw that we had been there. They had not had a day off. And they said, great, you are our relief. We're leaving. <laughs> and in 15 minutes, we went from, hey, guys, we had we brought some extra supplies up from Austin to now you're running this shelter. And it was literally like that. And I looked at the two guys and I said, well, you know, I I worked in a homeless shelter all growing up, uh, helping out there. So I think I got some of this covered. And, uh, for the next several weeks, we were just we ran this shelter and we reduced the population. But um, 
you know, the folks down there in that shelter, about a quarter of them did not speak English as their primary language. Um, luckily, I spoke some Spanish, so I was translating for a representative from FEMA mm. who would come for four hours once a week. And this is, <laughs> I mean, we had a full shelter. We had tens of thousands of people in this town who were refugees from Louisiana uh, and eastern Texas. And they're relying on this now former meteorologist from Charleston, South Carolina, to come on in and translate for FEMA for, you know, four hours. And I got done with this experience. I came home and I told my wife, you know, these people, they don't need to know what to wear in the morning. Um, you know, they don't need to know whether they're going to bring an umbrella. And, you know, they're sort of past the point where um, I could do anything to keep them safe when a weather emergency happened. They really need a lawyer. They need somebody to advocate for them. Mm. Um, and so she said, that sounds great. I guess we're going to law school. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I uh, was fortunate to get into USC and, and Charleston School of Law. And uh, I really didn't want to be commuting back and forth between Charleston and Columbia. I'd already done that for a year and a half. Uh, and so Charleston School of Law was just it. And you got to feel, I mean, the moment you walk into Charleston School of Law, you get a, the idea that the people there care on a different level. Mm. And they're not just producing good lawyers are producing good people and ethical lawyers who put, you know, their, who put ethics and put the real counsel and guidance of their clients ahead of everything else. Uh, and that's what I wanted to be. Wow. What a great story. You are listening <laughs> <laughs> to the sidebar, a podcast production of Charleston school of law. I'm your host, John Struble. Our guest is Ben Pogue, Charleston attorney and class of 2009 alum. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or listen to streaming shows on our website at charlestonlaw.edu slash sidebar. Comments, questions, email them to us at sidebar at charlestonlaw.edu. You know, that kind of reminds me, Ben, that never, never discount the idea that if you're working in an industry, in a discipline that you're not certain is really where you should be, be aware of your surroundings because sometimes you can be pulled and led into a direction that will open up new doors for you. And it's never too late to begin pursuing that. You were already in a professional field kind of entrenched doing what you do day to day. But when you were, when you felt called, you went. So that, that was a bold move on your part. <laughs> yeah, John, <laughs> Just there really are not too many broadcast meteorologists turned lawyers. Right. It's not a thing as my wife would say. Um, yeah. I, I, I don't know of any others that are out there, but uh, you know, they're really not too dissimilar in a strange way. Okay. There's no TV audience, but, uh, for me, I'm a trial lawyer as well as a mediator. So there's a jury that's there. Right. Uh, and if you've got communication skills like you do, <clears throat> when, uh, you're used to speaking with people, you're used to helping, uh, them understand what some of the issues are in a concise fashion. And that's a translatable skill. Uh, and you know, anytime you're, in front of people and, and you're acting as the arbiter or mediator, you've got to do a lot of communication strategy and communication skill work in mm -hmm. there 
to help people feel at ease, to help build trust with the people who you're working with. And you do that even if you're working with a counterpart in uh, what's traditionally a, a more adversarial role. If you're a plaintiff's attorney or a defense attorney working with somebody else, um, those same kinds of skills can really make your job more efficient. Uh, they can, uh, and ultimately they can do what you want to do, which is guide your client toward a good resolution that they can live with um, so that they can maintain uh, closure uh, on the issue that they're there for and have a better life when they don't need you. You know, that's really what we're trying to get our clients to is the better life beyond our services. Um, but, you know, I've, I've known so many friends of mine who come from careers that are not at all legal in any way, shape or form um, and just find that no matter where they come from, there are still some translatable skills. Yeah. Do you talk to people? Okay, well then, you know, you might make a really good lawyer. Um, is critical thinking a part of your job? Right. Hey, we've got to do that. You might make a really good lawyer. Um, have you served in the military? One of my good friends uh, came from uh, the military before he went to law school. Great, you've got an, or, uh, an understanding of organization and, uh, you know, the needs to be really disciplined about your practice there. Uh, all those kinds of things matter. And in the end, what we're doing as lawyers is we're breaking down complex subjects. We're being as disciplined and um, organized with our work and our attitude. And we're communicating with folks, trying to guide them to a good resolution and a better understanding of a situation so that we can help them resolve it. Sometimes it's with money. Sometimes it's with a divorce or an adoption. Sometimes it's with a civil rights matter. Sometimes it's with a criminal matter, but we're still acting as guides and counselors and we're advocating for something uh, and someone that we believe in. And that's part of so many people's life uh, anyway, yeah. whether they're lawyers or not. That That's where it gets really meaningful when you impact someone's life like that. Our faculty is really passionate. You know this because you're a member, you're an adjunct professor at the School yeah. of Law now. <laughs> so you know, you are one of them. Uh, they have a heart for teaching the next generation. Did you have professors who mentored you in the classroom during those um, developmental years, learning your skill in that, in that type stuff? Oh, yeah. You know, John, I've still got to check myself um, when I try and when I speak with my uh, colleagues now, because I still call him professor. I, <laughs> I, still, <laughs> I still say, hey, Professor Jansen. And he's got to, you know, remind me, hey, it's just it's just Bill. Um, you know, I still say Dean Lawton and she says, hey, it's Margaret. You know, you gotta, <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, I mean, we are incredibly fortunate to have just some of the best faculty out there. Uh, you know, uh, Professor Jansen is still a great mentor of mine. Um, uh, Kevin Eberly, great mentor of mine, Nancy Zisk, and, uh, Professor Haynes, Allison Haynes, you know, the Haynes Stewart. Now the, um, the list really just goes on and on. Um, really just people who I grew to know, um, you know, inside the classroom and then outside of the classroom, I was, one of so many inquisitive students and you know it's easy to be inquisitive and and at ease with your professors when they really take an interest in you yeah. um you know i remember going up part of the uh, aba mood court national mood court competition with uh 
Professor Sheely, Miller Sheely, and mm-hmm. uh, really getting to know him and, and just what a phenomenal guy he is. And uh, I mean, just really great folks. And they do the teaching part and they keep you on your toes. Mm-hmm. But then those particular individuals also act you know, as a guide and a sounding board, uh, for really for life. And you never, uh, you never really let go. And actually you mentioned, um, uh, my own firm. I, I have my own firm. I've just recently moved to a new firm huh? with one of my mentors who was also my torts professor and insurance professor back in law school, Jerry Finkel. So I'm at the Finkel law firm now, just moved over here. And, uh, it's really just a pleasure to work with Jerry on a day-to-day basis. And he's the same guy that he was in the classroom, uh, always interested in uh, finding out more about any particular case, you know, and saying, look, every client is different. Every client has a story uh, and really getting the lawyers to focus on helping that individual, sometimes helping that company, that corporate entity, um, whoever you're representing and really digging into it. And believe me, John, just like in law school, he always has a story. About <laughs> something else. <laughs> so, you know, it's, uh, great to have friends like that. But think about think about what that says in itself. Here was Professor Finkel uh, teaching Ben Pogue, and twelve years later, after you graduate, the two of you are working together. So it speaks to the networking and communication and relationship building that goes on in the classroom and out of the classroom between the professor in the student. And it's something we just love as a school to be able to connect at that level. Yeah. Um, You know, one of the things I tell my students now as an adjunct is, you know, go ahead and see if your professor's available for a coffee or lunch or something like that, because our professors absolutely love that. You know, I I still get together for coffee uh, when we're not in COVID land with uh, Andy Abrams and Uh, Kevin and Everly and I you know, grab a breakfast or a lunch sometimes too. I got to tell you a story about Kevin Everly. Sure. So um, professor, he's one of the guys who I can just call Kevin. I've never called him professor. He's never been a <laughs> professor of mine, uh, although he certainly uh, was great in helping direct us and give us feedback from moot court back in the day. Hmm. But when I was, so I went to school as an older student um, and, you know, I'd already had a career, but when I got there, I saw Kevin. I said, oh, my gosh, you know, I can't believe you're here. Uh, we see each other all the time at alumni events for William & Mary, my undergraduate school. Ah. And he reminded me, he said, when I was a senior in high school and I came to visit William & Mary, uh, I was put in this tour group and you were the tour guide. So I gave, uh, I was a freshman and I gave Kevin Everly a tour of William and Mary when he was a senior in high school. And now I'm sitting here going, well, you are, you know, have far outpaced me. So <laughs> he, here's my peer as a, and, and one of my mentors as well uh, in my law career. But, uh, you know, just, it, it was a nice reminder from the very beginning that your professors are real people too. Uh, that they're really dedicated people who love the law and also who love guiding their students in the right way. And I'm I'm really proud to be a professor, an adjunct professor, and proud to still get great guidance from guys like Kevin. You were part of Charleston School of Law history too, Ben. Tell me about the Forensics Club. 
<laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it's. I, I didn't know I was going to be named to it until um, <laughs> it really until it began. You know, and um, uh, graduating, I was in a great uh, small group uh, that were privileged to be elected to the forensic club. Brandy Batson at the time was there. Katie Fowler, uh, now Katie Monick, Angel Douglas, which is now Angel Russell. Um, we're just great friends of mine through law school. Um, but it was really a privilege. And I knew every one of the members of the two classes that were there before me. Um, Cameron Blazer was in the 2007 uh, class. She's still a, a great friend of mine. I mean, we just we, we consistently turn out great folks. And it's a real honor to be part of that club. Um, and you don't really hear that you're part of it until graduation and somebody calls your name. It's like, <laughs> wow. But the fact that the faculty really devote a lot of time and thought uh, and discussion to finding uh, out the students who they want to bring into that small circle is mm. it, it's really an honor. And it, it speaks to just uh, how dedicated our faculty and staff are and how much they're watching. You know, they want to see people who are really interested in uh, not just being lawyers, but being lawyers who lead. Yeah. Our final segment with Ben Pogue, you are now an adjunct professor uh, professor at Charleston School of Law. How long have you been on the teaching side and what classes do you teach? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm preparing for, uh, I think, my third class right now. This is it. This is my first semester of being an adjunct. Okay. But, um, uh, it's an incredible uh, opportunity and it's uh, really fairly unique opportunity. And I, I got to tell you, John, I have the most dynamite students. I've got 18 just brilliant students. They are engaged in every class. They do the reading before every class. They are on top of things. They're just, uh, you know, you can see a fire behind their eyes. I'm really privileged to be with them. The course that I'm teaching is really one of the uh, first in the country uh, that's dedicated to strategy and tactics. That's the name of the course, Strategy and Tactics in Law and Negotiation. Mm. Um, so strategy has been a thing uh, for uh, literally millennium, but it really wasn't used, that term was not used in a wide, uh, uh, in, in any sort of wide manner. It wasn't in common parlance until really the late 1950s, 60s, and 70s. And now you hear strategy all the time. Everybody's a strategy consultant. There's right. a strategy for this, or strategy for that. But it's really a new usage of the word. So we're really going back to the roots of what strategy is, uh, which borrows from Sun Tzu and the art of war, yes. borrows from uh, Napoleon and von Clausewitz and uh, Lieutenant Colonel John Boyd was an Air Force uh, colonel who really developed this whole other, uh, this whole separate uh, kind of strategy called OODA, the Observation, Orientation, Decision, Action Loop, and really esoteric things we're getting into. We're then going down to the roots of what strategy is, and then we're going back out to connect it to ways that you litigate, ways that you negotiate, operate your legal practice, uh, even get along with other people. Right especially your clients and your colleagues, so that you can have an understanding of how to, and this is key, ethically and collaboratively work with folks so that you can get the best result for your client. Uh, and a lot of times 
you know, do what we're really charged to do, which is change the status quo. We're hired as lawyers, John, because something is going wrong. Right. So it requires some change of what the existing circumstance is. And anytime you're doing that with intention, uh, if you're doing it, uh, understanding and recognizing some of the psychological principles that we go into and ethically using the law and the rules that we abide by, uh, then you're really changing things and you're changing things for the better for your client. And a lot of times it's not a zero sum game where my loss or where my gain is your loss uh, and vice versa. A lot of times there is a mutual win situation. It just takes thinking about it in a different way. And that's what our entire class is doing every single class. It's really fascinating stuff. It really, it sounds to me, and correct me if I'm wrong, but if you're a student in that class, and this is a, this is a subject matter that I am intently curious about because I love ethics and I love the uh, back and forth, but you really find out about the character of the student, what they know, what they don't know, and how they handle certain situations, which develops them in, in quite a number of different ways as a future attorney or lawyer. Oh, yeah. I mean, you, <laughs> the first class we had, we spent part of it taking some online, uh, very unofficial personality tests. <laughs> uh, one of the things that you know, as part of our classes and identification, uh, our, our duty really uh, mm -hmm. as lawyers to identify what our own obstacles are, where our blind spots are, where just like we were talking about earlier, where we have assumptions that maybe our clients don't know, where we have assumptions about the issues that we face in any particular case. So we've got to learn what our biases are. I've got biases and blind spots just as much as anybody else. Right. So we first tackle that in order to get a sense of uh, what we might not be seeing. We also refer to the person who usually is labeled an opponent or an adversary. We refer to that person as in our class as our counterpart hmm. because we want to give ourselves a mindset that is a little bit more objective and less emotional so that we don't uh, act oversensitively uh, and over defensively. And so that we open our mind to what the possibilities are, even if there are collaborative possibilities there. And a lot of times ethically, that's the best path. Uh, it's not just ethically, but it's be the best path for your client as well. Um, I've had clients who go through trial and trial, you know, one of the reasons I'm a mediator is because trial can be a really harsh process yeah. and they get done with trial you get this verdict handed to you by 12 people who you don't know, and it doesn't deliver the closure for you. And my clients, even as much as I would help them, still end up ruminating about that period of their life for years on end. Mm. Well, if you can instead see things from the outset as incorporating other perspectives and working collaboratively when you've got a chance to do so, while at the same time, Know, sort of walking that line where you are putting your client's needs first, uh, then you've got just a much better chance of helping you and your client get to a better resolution. And that person, your client, really being satisfied with your work and being satisfied and uh, for the rest of their life to you know, open up to them as a new chapter where they can really officially close the book on the last chapter that was a nasty one and sort of get off to living their best life. Having to come alongside someone who's going through that, uh, you know, whether it's a divorce, it gets real emotional. Are there times for you where you go through a um, 
with a client and obviously a counterpart uh, where you walk away at the end of the day, regardless of the outcome, and you are just emotionally drained? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Um, you know, it. it's hard to not get a little bit wrapped up in what your client is going through. Right. Uh, and we call it in our class, uh, we call it tactical empathy. Huh. So you have to be empathetic, but you also, you know, just as a regular person, it, it really helps to be empathetic and see what somebody else is going through. But you also have a tactical value in that as well. Um, you can't totally divorce yourself from what your client is going through or even what the uh, client or your, your, your counterpart's client is going through. Uh, you got to be in touch with that. Sometimes those emotions help guide you, but they also help you derive information and notice information that can help get to a solution. So uh, as a mediator, I do this as well. You've got sometimes a defendant and a plaintiff who really do not like each other. Um, no, you know, sometimes it, I mean, really it's just awful. You know, a lot of times you get this in, in business relationships that have gone wrong sure. and there are also personal relationships there too. Uh, and so you, you're talking about money, which is also wrapped up in emotion. But if you don't take the time to really dig in and feel a little bit, what these people are feeling, these lay people are feeling, asking the extra question or two or three mm. about what's going on, having that uh, reporter's tactic. Mm. John, you're familiar with this yes, of silence? Just a little bit. <laughs> when, you, when you just pause and let things sit and then let the person have the safe space to tell you a little bit more. Um, if you don't let those things happen and identify with those individuals, then you're missing out on a bunch of information mm. that you could get. And the best mediation results that I get are when things are very uh, confrontational at the beginning, but we end up finding a few things usually that are what we call non-monetary terms that we bring in. Mm. And it can be as simple as an apology or an acknowledgement that the other person had feelings, that they were looking for something that didn't happen, that they took a communication the wrong way, or that they wanted something else to be said. Uh, you know, those kinds of things mean a lot to your clients and they don't cost a penny, mm. but they can really help somebody out in that, again, that next chapter of their life, which they only get to if they close the last chapter. And so you know, it's really a big part of what you do. And that goes back to the point of, you know, the old concept of it's priceless. And sometimes that yeah. act of forgiveness or hearing the words, I'm sorry, or I was wrong is more meaningful than any monetary outcome that could possibly come from that. I want to roll back a little bit, Ben, and go back to that classroom setting and what you're teaching in that strategy and tactics class. How much being on the other side, being the professor. And I know it's only your third class, but <laughs> how much do you, are you learning from the students? Oh, just tons. I mean, it's, a, you know, it's the same mindset, we, John, we talked about where you go in, you know that you've got some biases, you've got some assumptions um, that you're making mm. uh, that, you, you know, you're just, oh, man. I cannot believe I missed that. You know, <laughs> yeah. Oh no, I was thinking this and they were all here. Uh, sometimes you get some blank stares in there. Uh, <laughs> and it, it's, it's great to look back on my law school experience and think, Oh my gosh, 
when that professor just looked at us and we gave him blank stares, I feel so awful about that, <laughs> you know, but at the same time, uh, it's also uh, a space for new learning to occur. When you get those blank stares, you go, oh, okay, I've got to slow down. There's something else that I need to go over. Yep. Um, there's some feedback that I need from the students. And hopefully I'm, I'm doing that. We are stuffing a whole lot into each class. Yep. Um, and we're, we, we sort of do our class where, you know, it's, it's, it's two hours a week. So the first hour is really geared more toward some lecture and going over the, some of the concepts and some review of the concepts. But the second half is a whole lot of class participation. And I learn something every single class I learn, I'm teaching strategy and tactics and I learn a new class by, or a new tactic by looking at some of my students and hearing and listening to where they're coming from with a blank slate that they're going into the situation of potential negotiation exercise. They're going into this with a blank slate and they think of something I did not have crossed my mind in the least. Awesome. And it's fascinating. Yeah. It's so cool. Hey, the light bulb's going off for Ben, not just us. <laughs> That's pretty <laughs> That's cool. right. Uh, so a lot has changed since your days in the classroom. Now as a graduate and an attorney and a teacher, what is it you want students to understand the most as they go through this process, especially those 1Ls who are experiencing law school for the first few weeks right now? What do you want them to understand? The, the long game is really what? Well, I mean, first, it's the recognition that there really is a long game. Um, you know, we started out our class talking amongst ourselves uh, in a discussion, not just me lecturing about how this class is a collaborative exercise. Uh, we are not a law school where uh, you're going to try and steal somebody's homework. You're going to keep an answer from them. Mm. You know, uh, Judge Sanders, when I was a 1L and, you know, just in orientation, he was talking about us as still being pioneers. You know, this was a brand new thing. And we were really in this together. And I think that's the thing that I'm most proud of my class about is that, uh, you know, everybody who I knew in the class of 2009 really regarded uh, their fellow students as colleagues who they would help if at all possible. Right. Um, you know, it was just, it's a collaborative exercise. And, you know, you don't get that everywhere. You, yeah. you talk to folks who graduated from, you know, UNC or from UVA or something like that, uh, you know, and they've got a different perspective on law school and on the career, mm. the profession. And I think that uh, we do a phenomenal job of, you know, may, maybe setting the expectation and, and really framing your legal career as being something that is fairly collaborative uh, and having that understanding that you need to have a long game. And that long game involves getting along with people. That long game involves uh, making friendships and having mentors and having mentees as well. You know, it's sort of incumbent upon you when you say pro bono popoli, mm -hmm. as we do, that you are going to do something for your community. You're going to do something for people. You're going to be a certain person who is supportive for your colleagues, uh, you know, that just that sense that there's a little bit more work for you to do. Uh, in the rest of your law career, uh, it's not just about law school and then go and try and make a bunch of money and beat some people up in the courtroom. There's more to it, you know, and, and I think that's the thing that um, 
I would try and reinforce, although, John, I think our school does a pretty uh, great job of uh, letting folks know that when they're coming through. Thank you for listening to our debut episode of The Sidebar, a podcast production of Charleston School of Law. I'm your host, John Struble. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or listen to our streaming shows on our website at charlestonlaw.edu slash sidebar. Ben Pogue, Charleston attorney and class of 2009 alum, has been our guest. Thank you, Ben, for your time today, for all the work you've done to serve our community and champion the Charleston School of Law. You have set the bar high for future guests on this show. (laughs) Thanks so much, John. I really appreciate you having me. 